Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty, and this is Talking Design 2018, episode number 16. In this episode, I'm talking to an architect, Tamara Dunkley, who's director of ADAR Architects, Architecture. Architects. Architects. I've only known or come across Tamara in relatively recent times, but um, what I've seen from the practice has really been very impressive. So welcome to the program. Thank you. Tamara, you, you, one of your first positions, or your must have been one of your first positions upon leaving Melbourne University School of Architecture, was um, SJB, Architects. Yes, it was. 13 years, that's Thir- a long stint. It was a long stint, but uh, very rewarding and uh, great, great uh, experience and practice in uh, moving on to my own practice. How do you just start a practice? I'm, because there must be, after 13 years of getting a regular wage, knowing what you're going to do, well, no, things change every day, but don't you feel kind of squirmish starting a new practice? Oh, look, absolutely. It was. It's Why? Well, well, <laughs> very good question. Um, at the time, it was sort of very daunting and the, the prospect of the unknown mm. and where are, my, where are my jobs going to come from and, as you say, that, that paycheck. Mm. Um, but... I guess the experience that I learned at SJB is that nothing is impossible and that there's always people that you can rely upon for information and support and uh, I guess it was a, a slow burn in terms of starting that I had a couple of private projects and things I guess working on houses on the side yes while I was still at SJB and progressively that just got to a point where it was sort of too much to be able to do in my spare time uh, so I decided to give a leap of faith and uh, start my own practice. Initially started 1023 Architects uh, and then one of the other associates who is now my business partner at ADARC, Rowan, uh, Rowan Arpel. he was also at uh, SJB, another associate there, uh, and we merged together and uh, created ADARC. What is ADARC? What does it mean? ADARC is a, a combination of both Appel and Dunkley and design and when we first looked to come up with a name and, and where we were sort of trying to pitch our practice was that we could add value, that through our experience and through our knowledge and, and level of inquiry, we would be able to hopefully uh, take on from a client uh, their brief and be able to add value through our knowledge. Um, tomorrow, one of the first projects you did and very successfully was a house in Hawthorne, uh, quite, quite beautiful. It wasn't, it's an interesting area because it wasn't, you wouldn't look at it and say it was a heritage streetscape to say, I mean, I wouldn't have thought so. There was kind of a strange building next to this site, yet it was considered heritage and there was kind of all these issues you had to deal with. There was. Look, uh, council, whilst it is a very eclectic streetscape, as as you mentioned, uh, there's a a church to one side and a a block of flats to the other. Uh, Council do consider that the overall precinct perhaps rather than streetscape does have heritage qualities to it um, and we had to undergo quite a, a lengthy planning process to be able to get approval for for the dwelling and strangely much of that related to the external materials that council's heritage advisor wanted us to to emulate or replicate the teal render on the church adjacent to us. Teal's a very difficult colour to live with, I imagine. Very very specific, very specific. Um, So ultimately we did get approval to to go with the zinc cladding, which um, was obviously our client's preference and 
and we we would argue, and our, our heritage um, architect would also agree that certainly zinc has a longevity and a, a a place within a historic context. So you ditched the teal, zinc, the teal, and uh, went with the zinc instead. Um, <clears throat> and just as well you did. An interesting house because not a lot of garden. The house three level house covers the entire block virtually. It does. And it there's does. just a north facing courtyard, Slytherin North, um, and very. Uh, dark and quite moody. It's Look, not what I call a Doris Day house, is it? No, it's not. It's not. Tell me about um, it. Look, the house was uh, designed for a young family, and that given that there are a number of pocket parks, um, there's an oval just to the street and to the rear there's another park, so the landscaping there was, was more of an immediate context and, and be able to look out towards some leaf and, and greenery or mm. without necessarily having the, the maintenance or the aspect of backyard. Mm. The site itself is quite small. It's only 180 square metres in terms is of the site all? area. Um, and as you said, we've built boundary to boundary. So it really does um, encompass the full spectrum of, of the site itself from Front Street to Rear Lane. Um, and it's a substantial house, probably about 350 square metres. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Um, so in the basement, uh, whilst... Ordinarily, you would think a basement for car parking. In this particular instance, we have some a media room, a study, another bedroom, bathroom. The, the mid-level or the ground level has living and uh, one master suite and a garage to the rear lane. And level one has three further bedrooms and a, a terrace. One term that I absolutely loathe at the moment, um, Tamara, and you haven't mentioned it so far, so rest <laughs> easy, is future-proofing, yes. loathe the word, because I never know what does it mean. But in this case, if there is such a word, and there is, people use it all the time, the owners actually have two main bedroom suites, so they thought they didn't really want to move again. So their bedroom currently is on the top floor. That's correct. But they said, look, in case we can't do the stairs anymore, we can't manage the stairs, we'll live in the main bedroom suite on the ground floor, which is quite an interesting idea. Look, as a, yeah, Unusual. The, I haven't seen that before. Bo both of the two master suites are almost replicas of each other with, with large robe and en suite. Uh, the, the, to the clients, their sort of thought process was that, yes, they wanted to have a, a little bit more time in this house. Um, we did a, an earlier townhouse project for the same clients and, unfortunately, by the time that we completed the build, they had a little baby and um, marriage and otherwise, so it was certainly perhaps not quite the bachelor pad or with the longevity that they had first hoped for. So in, in looking to design the brief around this one, thinking about young children, obviously, to start with, they wanted to be on the same level of them um, in a, a sleeping arrangement, but then thinking towards when the, the kids are perhaps more teenagers or, or moving even older than that, that there was an ability for them to perhaps give a, a little bit more separation or space to each of the family members without needing to reconsider a new dwelling. Now, what's interesting, it is a very dark interior, slate grey-green walls. Uh, there's a Jack Merlot um, hanging garden or yes. uh, vertical garden, which is quite beautiful. Um, but you've got this wonderful piece of artwork that is really pivotal to the design. Tell me about that. Look, the I guess the materials palette of the house was very much centred around a very muted, uh, 
pale greys and charcoals so that it would amplify the presence of this this artwork that you have referred to, but also the greenery. Who's uh, the outside. artist? Can you remember? Rowena Martinich is the artist, uh, and we engaged her to do a, a custom piece which does extend the full width of the, the rear of the kitchen and out into the courtyard space. Uh, and that really does... It's quite vibrant. It has a lot of sort of neon colours amongst it and, and really is, as you walk in the front door, it becomes the, the backdrop towards your, your journey into the house. And I think plays, if everything did have a, a more colourful palette, then perhaps it wouldn't be as dramatic, dramatic and, and as obvious in the space. But certainly with those muted tones, it does give you a, a real sense of, of prominence and, and sort of spectacle at the back of the house. Um, Tamara, what did you and... Uh, Rowan find the most challenging thing about this brief was it the heritage restrictions or was Look, it just getting all the all the program into, into a, a small, very small, small site um, the other thing that was quite challenging was there is a three-story block of flats to its immediate north and being able to design outdoor spaces which obviously take advantage of that northern orientation but without coming out of the doors and then looking up and seeing big block of flats sort of almost overlooking you or overshadowing the courtyard. So you extended the eave. So extending the eave and also with the, the green wall that's out on the, I guess, the northern boundary, trying to limit that upward view but more encompass the, the living space almost as a walled garden rather than a an conventional outdoor backyard. Tamara, you've also started, you're just about to complete a, a multi-res project in Kew, in Cotham Road, uh, Hecker Guthrie are doing the interiors. I was telling you before we sat down, uh, the previous building was quite a brutalist 1960s, early 70s pile. Um, I quite liked it. Um, it was a music store for a number of years, overlooking the park with big windows. Is it hard for an architect to actually pull these buildings down when you do get a brief to create something new? Oh, look, it definitely is that there is a something quite historic and beautiful about seeing the existing buildings, and it was quite a, a dark, moody exterior. <coughs> Sorry. Um, but just the aspect towards the park, it had some quite huge glazing panels towards the park and was uninterrupted aspect. Mm. Even though it was a music store, it was really quite a, a beautiful building. Mm-hmm. So what what's the dilemma? You were saying that as you go up, you actually struck couldn't support upper levels. No, unfortunately, it couldn't support any further going up, and moreover, it didn't have a basement underneath it to facilitate car parking. So it really, did limit the future perspective of the site mm. um, as to what it could be done. Um, tomorrow, um, tomorrow, you you mentioned they're going to be more like homes rather than. Apartments. What do you mean by that? Just the size or the... The size and the scale and the really the internal amenity of them, that they are... More of the purchases did end up with a customisation to their unit than just a, an off-the-plan purchase. And how large are they? The smallest of the units is around 120 square metres. Well, that's pretty large. And the penthouse is internally about 350 square metres. That's huge. With a, a comparable terrace. So each of them is really a, a downsizes uh, yeah. proposition. Uh, um, Tamara, there seems to be quite a strong trend at the moment for downsizing. I mean, the one-bedders, 
you know, the very standard apartments that perhaps were geared towards students and dominated the landscape for many years is now taking a back seat and we're seeing a lot more really, I hate the word again, luxury apartments, but people who really want something more than just an apartment. I mean, imagine scaling down from a large family house into something that you want to live in is becoming more popular. I mean, right through Turak, Q, that seems to be a really strong trend. Well, we're certainly seeing that trend extend even to the, I'm going to say, southeastern suburbs of, mm. of Caulfield and uh, Elstonwick, even that, mm. um, what perhaps aren't overly large sites of sort of perhaps 1,500 to 1,800 square metres, which are very much in the residential zones, mm. are becoming sort of bo- okay, boutique, boutique style. style where there might be five to eight apartments, but each being in the order of sort of 250 plus square metres. there's a sense of separation, so you don't feel like you're living in a tight arrangement. And that they really are geared towards a large master suite, big generous living areas, a couple of bedrooms that may be for the grandkids or a study, but they are looking very much towards lifestyle choices that are about entertaining or having people over mm-hmm. rather than the perhaps more compact student-style mm-hmm. um, apartments but that we have seen. it has been a growth, a significant growth, right through Melbourne. Definitely. Um, and people seem to be, it's not about the money anymore. No, it's really it's about the quality the and quality being able to feel that it is their dwelling or it is their home and not just a, an apartment. Um, Tamara, not taking anything away from the interior designers who are working on the project, I mean, ADARC are quite capable of doing interiors. Is it something that you didn't want to get involved in or is it something the developer appointed and just felt... Look, Look, it actually has been a a really rewarding collaboration with Hecker Guthrie. Uh, The team there is fabulous at what they do and it's actually been, I guess, quite a learning curve for us as well to see how another practice works and Mm. in this particular instance we have been I guess responsible for the 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 documentation for the best part of the apartment types Mm. uh, whereas Heka Guthrie have been more involved in the the joinery detailing and the material selections of the internal palette so I guess it has been a bit of a synergy between both practices. What have you what what have you found since you know establishing your practice? four years ago, what are the things you weren't expecting that you find, oh dear, if only I would have known? Is it it unpredictability? Is it just people changing their minds? Is it just having to do everything from, you know, looking after staff to, you know, what is it that has surprised you? Look, the biggest surprise, I guess, has been the, there are things about the business that having worked for SJB, a large practice where there is people that are employed to deal with the the day-to-day operational aspects as opposed to the architecture itself. And it's to ensure that there is toilet paper in the toilet and that the, the phone bills are paid and all of those sort of peripheral things which aren't necessarily about the production of architecture necessarily but still all have to come together to, to make being able to, to practice architecture part of the equation. So you find tomorrow people screaming out from the bathroom, where's the dummy paper? <laughs> yes. 
Very much so. And you go, look, I'll just leave this meeting and I'll just attend to that detail. So, look, there's definitely been some of the back of house um, aspects and ensuring that just clients are, are, are continually happy and that there's enough breadth of time to be able to ensure that there's a, a coverage to their requests and um, <clears throat> certainly in a bit of bigger practice where you have, uh, I guess, a greater staff level, it's it's perhaps easier to, to mitigate some of those uh, immediate demands, whereas in a small practice it's uh, all hands on deck in a very short amount of time. Um, Tamara, I imagine designing a home is probably one of the most challenging things an architect can do because it's for the owner. They've got very specific ideas rather than a developer who wants X, <coughs> X apartments this size. Uh, it's You know, people are very close to those things and it's very difficult trying to take them out of this, slightly take, take them out of their comfort zone mm. and give them something that they love but perhaps they didn't expect. Yes. Look, the best example I can give you there, Stephen, is we did a house a couple of years back for a family in Caulfield, and when they first came to us, they said that they would like a Tuscan villa. Oh, dear. And I'm, I'm hearing <laughs> warning bells. Alarm bells. And look, it, it was very much that, and what we did was to try to eke out from them what was it about the, the Tuscan villa or the style to which inspired them or that they wanted to really emulate and Tuscany. <laughs> well, in the end, it was more about the materiality and the the spaces, rather than a a replication of sorts. So, the resultant build is far from a Tuscan villa, but does have the sort of punched openings of of windows and the the stone exterior, and they absolutely love it in the end. But it was that journey to take them on. Um, to get a contemporary outcome, um, but make them feel as though they had everything that they, they wanted on their wish list. I mean, there are architects out there um, who would just say, look, I'll give you a Tuscan villa. Mm. It's much easier. A few pillars, you know, and um, nice decorative treatment around the windows, and, you know, it's much easier. So it is more challenging to take people out of, you know, into something new. Look, it is, but I think it would be... To me, it would be negligent to just uh, replicate a form or a, an architectural style to which I was unfamiliar with or that wasn't my It would look kind of strange in the street. Mm. So, yes, it, it, it's certainly a challenge, and um, but a challenge, I think, that at the end um, is both rewarding for us as architects to be able to say that we have been able to, to take the brief and turn it into something that is the a end result. Um, look, good luck with all your endeavours. <clears throat> um, uh, I, I think, you know, anyone starting a practice really is very courageous, but um, uh, what, it, what the work I've seen from you so far, it's very impressive, and I really look forward to seeing what's, what's in, the, in the wings. Okay. So thank you so much for coming onto the program. This has been Talking Design 2018, episode number 16, and recorded at RMIT University in Melbourne.